0: Hello, and welcome to Coffee with Conservationists, the podcast where I sit down with conservationists, ecologists, and the occasional wildlife filmmaker or climate activist to talk to them about their work in wildlife conservation, human and wildlife coexistence, community projects, and the climate justice movement. So what's this coffee with conservationists thing all about? Well, each episode I will be sitting down and drinking a cup of coffee. I think coffee as a product is really closely linked with conservation practices and if it's grown, roasted and sourced sustainably it can be an amazing way to bring local communities and surrounding ecosystems into harmony. So, at the end of each episode, I'll be quickly highlighting a different roaster, grower or someone who works closely with the sustainable coffee community. In this episode, we will be sitting down with Ben Bishop, the Citizen Science and Conservation Lead at the Cody Dock Project in Newham, East London. Ben is an environmental conservationist who works at Cody Dock, providing volunteers, school groups and the local community with knowledge, education and insight into the ecological goings-on, both on the land and in the surrounding waterways. So, hi Ben, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for being here today. Um, We'll kick it off by getting to know you a little bit. Uh, Could you tell us a bit about yourself and sort of how you decided you wanted a career in conservation and uh, ecology?
1: So, I am twenty-six now, um, and I didn't think I would actually start down this route when I first left my hometown, which is in the West Midlands. But when I moved to London, obviously one of the biggest things for me living here and studying here from such an early age was actually the lack of connection with green space that I had. And through time, obviously doing different jobs and working full time after my first in at university, I was just like a bit crazy and I was like, I need to be outside more. I need to do something that's more connected with nature because where I came from, it was very much, you know, a green area. It was a lot of, you know, ancient and old trees and there was lots of access to woodland and river walks and it was just like, I can't continue living in London without maybe being more connected to these things. So I quit my job had started doing a master's in environmental science and ended up at Cody Dock, which is where I am now.
0: Um, so uh, talking about Cody Dock, it's quite a nice uh, sort of segue into that area. what What is the Cody Dock Redevelopment project, and uh, how did you come about kind of getting involved in in your role there?
1: So, I mean, it's a really long story, the redevelopment project itself. The Cody Dock was, um, once upon a time, a gas work dock, which I won't go too much into, but it was essentially where power was generated and coal would come in to be fired to generate power. And that would be essentially what powered East London through sort of the late Victorian times until sort of where we'd had more redevelopments in technology and things had changed and sort of overnight, that sort of industry, being reliant on the waterways, which is where PagerDoc situated, sort of shut down overnight. Um, it became a derelict space. And my CEO, our CEO, Simon, he found it online um, on Google Maps and saw this riverway that was sort of disused and left and not really used by anyone. Saw the potential to actually reopen the access to that towpath because it was a towpath before and it could, you know getting it to be a public access point was really important to people that lived in the local area, especially in a sort of deprived area of East London. Um, You know, having that, the waterway was really key to the start of the project. Opening that up happened and the, the development of the site began to take form of a community space so that there was a space for people to be along the river and to sort of have an impact on what that space looked like for them so we opened up gardens and we decided that actually there should be more creativity involved so there's the idea that eventually it'll be a creative quarter where there'll be like studio spaces for people to do sort of their own creative design but also what there is now and what there will continue to be will be you know growing and garden space that will encourage wildlife but also encourage people to learn more about things like horticulture and organic food growing so there's lots of different aspects to the project but where i sort of came in was i was actually living in that um sort of in the local area um i was just starting my master's degree um i was working less hours at my old job um so i had more time to explore So I was walking along what's called the Greenway. So for people that don't know, throughout London and East London specifically, there is this thing called the Greenway, which connects to the Jubilee Ring, which is actually a walkway that goes all the way through London. It's basically towpaths and parkways and everything that's connected by this idea of the Jubilee Ring. But actually what you had in East London was the Greenway. And the Greenway took you all the way to the Becton Sewage Works, and what it actually was, was a green path that was created to hide these massive channels that a lot of the sewage from East London and the surrounding area was going through. They created these green verges, and all these plantings, sort of, you know, of like things like elder and, you know, sort of smaller tree shrubs that sort of hide the fact that you're just walking on top of a massive um, sewer sure. system. <laughs> I took this route to work quite often because it goes from where I lived in Plaistow all the way to Stratford. Um, And then one day, this Gate had opened that was always closed as I was walking past it, and it's actually at the Battle Jet, I think it is Battle Jet pumping station, which is a really interesting place to go and visit if you ever get a chance to go. The gate next to that was open, and it led me onto this fantastic walk which went down to a place called Abbey Creek. Um, Abbey Creek is sort of an offshoot of the Lower Lee Valley, which is where Cody Dock is and I just walked and it was like this wild space in London and I was like, oh, I'm discovering this new space really close to where I live and just, you know, really immersing. It was like sort of the height of um, spring almost going into summer so there was a lot of new vegetation growing and a lot of, you know, birds to hear singing and stuff and it was just really beautiful. Followed it round and came to this weird island which is called Three Mills. Three Mills Island is a, a weird little bit of land in between sort of what is the the True River Lee and the, the sort of back waterways that go through Stratford and the canal sort of okay. navigations. Yeah. I then found myself on the True River Lee uh, between that and the Limehouse Cut, which is you know, you're, you're, you're actually walking between these two waterways. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't know where I am, but I'll keep walking. So I kept walking. I went over 12 Trees Bridge, which was um, something that Cody Dock helped to get open and helped get access to the canal path and to the river path. So there was that sort of connection was made before that time and allowed me to be able to go over and onto this um, new newer path. And I followed it round following this really interesting sort of, you know, re- it looked at the time, I thought oh it's just a sort of stream and as I noticed as I was walking back later on that actually it was Tidal and came round and eventually just came to this weird garden space and I was like what's going on here? <laughs> and I was in Cody Dock and I was looking around and I was looking at everything, I was taking photos which everyone does when they go there for the first time and I just saw some people walking around and I thought oh, I should not be here, so I literally just went into the site for about five minutes and I was like okay took some photos and then I left um but as I was leaving I saw there was a vacancy they wanted volunteers so I I, uh, took the information down for that and there was also a vacancy for like I think it was like eight hours a week just to do some cleaning and I at this point was considering quitting my job and just doing my master's degree but I needed extra work so I took that information down, left, sent an email and heard back probably a few weeks later um, from this person called Liz who was working there at the time and then the next thing I knew I was like working at Doc and volunteering and I was like doing you know like eight hours a week and I was just like oh this is cool Uh, so I quit my other job and I just focused on studying and had this you know extra time to do things like photography and you know extra reading and exploring London so then just found myself at this place and I was like you know there more and more and it just sort of built up into this space where I was pretty much spending most of my time you know either volunteering Mm. or you know helping with other projects so there was these other projects that they were doing which were to engage like larger groups of volunteers and after a while they were like oh Ben do you want to do that and I was like okay yeah cool so just sort of started getting pulled further and further in um finished my degree um and started working with simon to develop a project based around the lower lee ecology which they already had some information on but how could we improve that offering and how could we actually get more people involved in things like citizen science and how can we do more education around what lives here so yeah i mean so yeah it led into my then sort of now stewardship
0: of the river. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really interesting. I mean, I, I've only been to the space once, and uh, sometime in October last year, and it is a is a pretty incredible community space now, and sort of seeing the transition it's gone through from when I first discovered it uh, a few years ago, um, until sort of today when it's uh, yeah this amazing community space that's uh, ever growing and e- ever changing. Is um is a pretty amazing transition that I've seen. Um you mentioned citizen science. I know you work a lot with the community and uh, kids and, and groups of volunteers. Um for listeners who don't know, what is citizen science?
1: Uh well, it focuses mainly, um and I say this mainly because I feel like some of the work we do broads. On to other things, but um on um, participation in scientific data gathering, that's where the work that we do is citizen science, and then everything else is part of that engagement for people to actually maybe be more passionate about their wildlife and nature. So you know, doing some bird watching, but then recording those figures. So you know, there's a there's a line that steps it into citizen science. So it's participatory; it's so that people agree to do, but it's not necessarily something they have to have the skills of, you know, a botanist to do. So we've used uh, over the years a app called EpiCollect where people can go out and they can record wildflowers they see in on along the river path and around the sort of green spaces that we help manage and they can send them in if they don't know the name. We can identify it for them and record it. So, um, yeah, there's different ways in which people can access citizen science but the main thing is, is that there is some sort of data that's been gathered and it's considered why that's being gathered but i mean i just think just getting people looking at grass and looking at the different types of grasses you know you could consider that just as important if they're even if they're not recording them as like you know this species and that species it's like right well look at the difference and learn about the variations in different species that's just as important but yeah the basic premise
0: yeah i know a lot of people um, sort of want to get involved in a lot of volunteering and um, sort of amateur naturalists or, or kids especially. Um, and a lot of people that I've spoken to are actually worried about, um, like, qualifications holding them back. Um, so yeah. learning about citizen science as that it, it exists and that scientists don't just want, you know, PhD students to be giving them data. They Everyone can give them data. And that services do exist to uh, to assist sort of big Mm -hmm. programmes like that. Um, Yeah, it's really great information um, for for a lot of people.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. And I think to consider actually one of the largest participatory monitoring schemes actually happens in the UK, it's the um, Big Garden Bird Watch. So every person that participates in that project is actually in effect a citizen scientist. But there's apps that you can download, which are really um, cool, that help you learn more about things. So I think the main thing is just going out and starting to explore and seeing what's in your local area that you can then start to help record or feed into and see what other organisations are working around your area. So, yeah, there's lots of different opportunities. But there's also nationwide ones that people should definitely consider doing if they've got a garden or a green space they want to to record or help record.
0: Yeah, definitely. So, obviously, I mean, in your work, I'm sure you've come across quite a few different uh, animals and different species and worked mm-hmm. with you is there any species in particular that you're sort of excited or happy to see either living on the little stretch <coughs> of the lee or her, that have returned to the lee sort of um in the last couple of years
1: um this so people always ask this and they're like oh what's the most interesting thing you've seen and it's like sometimes it's the thing you you know think it's like you know oh that's just that or that you know it's not as interesting but it changes all the time. Um, I'm fascinated by the sort of the the social dynamics of all the songbirds that live along um, in the trees and in the different spaces that we see. I really was surprised by how many dragonfly species we recorded last year. There was a specific one Um, damselfly species that we recorded called a willow emerald, which is fairly new to the UK. And when I say fairly new, I mean within the last like 40, 50 years, I think. Um, Okay. And they actually, their life cycle includes willows, which is why they're called the willow emerald. Mm. And what they actually do is they bury their eggs into the bark of the willow. So you'll see them, if you ever spot a damselfly and it's near a willow, and you can't tell what it is, and It's not blue, <laughs> it probably is this species. And they bury their eggs into the willow. And then, when it's the season starts to come round where they're meant to you know drop into the water and XYZ, the, the eggs will fall into the water body that's nearby. And then they'll continue their larval cycle in the water and then emerge. I think it's a two years most of them spend in the water, which is really interesting. Um, and then, yeah, I think, you know, we see seals along the, along the river, which is really cool. I mean, we're quite far from, um, you know, the estuary of the Thames. Uh, but, yeah, we still see them come up, and they come up as far as sort of three mills, islands. lots of reed birds as well, the ones that live in the... Re- like, um, we discovered that we had more than one species of reed warbler. Or, well, warbler, so we had the reed warbler, and the chetty's warbler, and then we had the sedge warblers. So... You know, there's 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 things that people are like, Oh, it's not a kingfisher you know, like, Oh yeah, but this is really cool, like <laughs> there's quite a lot of different things living along the river, so
0: Yeah, I know a lot of people um definitely sort of don't realise how uh sort of how endangered a lot of our wildlife is. They sort of take it for granted that we just have these animals.
1: Oh no, definitely. You know, it's just new things, always discovering new things, which, you know, we're always learning.
0: Yeah, it's definitely um a job like this and sort of leading all these projects can uh, have a lot of a big learning curve, I'm I'm sure. And um, uh-huh. you're always discovering new and interesting things about it. Um, unfortunately, I do have to ask this, but the at the time of recording this episode, uh, the UK is still under lockdown due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, how much has this crisis sort of affected the, the plans for ecology and education at Cody Dock in in 2020? Um,
1: Well we were just as we were coming into the last stage of the UK still running I say as normal um, quite loosely because it wasn't running as normal but um, we were due to have four trips um, all of 30 groups of students So 120 students coming down to KJoc to learn about the river, waterways, um, and it was all connected to a project that was um, linked in Ghana to this sort of global learning effort. I can't remember what the project is called, but I was one of the learning facilitators for that, and they all had to be cancelled, which is such a shame. Also, the trip was also linked to the school going to Ghana, and they were learning about the global sustainability goals, um, which are really important now in anyone that works in sustainability or environmental science or even sort of conservation, is there's these sort of, I think there's, I can't remember how many goals there are, but there's around 26. And the two that they were focusing on were all to do with waters, which is why they were coming to Cody Dock. And, yeah, so I couldn't do that. So they we have missed out on that sort of learning project and that experience, and they were actually going to go out on the river. So it was, a, it was sort of a massive shame because... You know, there's probably some some of them that would have been the first time they've ever gone out onto a waterway like that on a boat. But yeah, that was a shame. I don't live close enough now to go to work so I can't go down and I can't help look after the gardens. I can't go and record species. <laughs> so I'm like having to rely on people there to you know photograph things for me, let me know if they've got anything new.
0: So obviously I'm, I'm sure with lots of um, ecological recording and, and data, like most areas of science you need reliability and reliable yeah. sort of regular checkups on certain uh-huh. parts of the the site and everything
1: because we're such a small team, that all goes through me and all gets recorded and logged by me. So me not being there does mean that anything that will emerge this year that might not be back next year, because obviously some things like, you know, plants, they're uh, biennial, like I was saying earlier, um, most dragonflies and damselflies live in the water for two years. So if I'm not there, then, and I'm not there until late summer, some things will be missed and won't be recorded. So it means that actually we miss out on a, Season of recording species, which is um, is a massive shame. I obviously do have people that I can depend on to record things that they know, so that's good. But yeah, it's um, it's limited now.
0: so next we're going to do a little quick fire round uh so first up what's your favorite animal uh it's an otter where is a really nice place that you like to go and connect to nature somewhere you feel really uh, at home in the wilderness
1: um i would say either locally uh epping forest or shropshire moorlands pretty cool do
0: you have a conservation hero
1: yeah i'd say chris packer i just think he's really like sort of enthusiastic and has a really nice story to tell and really connects with nature when he's there.
0: Last of all, just to finish up, how do you take your coffee? Uh, peppermint tea. (laughs) Oh, okay, you don't take coffee at all. We'll wrap it up for today and I I really want to finish up by just asking where can people find the Cody Duck project, sort of what your handles or online platforms that you use Okay, so um, I...
1: We have Instagram which is Cody Dockers, Twitter it's Cody Dock, it's the same on Facebook and then our website is Cody uk. so um, we're currently obviously spending a lot of time updating our online platforms so do look out for new features. Uh, We do have a YouTube page that we're going to be hopefully hosting more stuff on quite soon. And that's where you'll find us. Otherwise, when the lockdown isn't finished, you'll find us between Stratford and West Ham along the River Lee in East London.
0: Yep, great. And I'm sure, obviously, there'll be uh, hopefully all this will be over before the hot weather is, um, and you'll get lots of people coming down and um, and checking you out because it's, uh, it is an amazing project. And I'm definitely looking forward to, to coming back later in the year, hopefully and uh and sort of seeing how it's developed under safer circumstances but,
1: yeah me too um... <laughs> it's been a while
0: thanks again to ben for giving up his time to talk to us today links to all cody docs platforms will be in the description down below and on our instagram page at coffee podcast i mentioned at the beginning of the episode about the whole coffee connection And while chatting to Ben, I had a really nice cup of decaf coffee from James Gourmet Coffee, an independent roaster based in the town of Ross-on-Wye in Herefordshire. This decaf has the caffeine taken out with a naturally occurring solvent taken from sugarcane called ethyl acetate. This means there's not a trace of processing and the work can often be done on the same farm as the growers ordinary coffee crop, making this decaf extra sustainable all the information on this particular coffee including a link to the james gourmet coffee website will also be found in the description down below thanks for listening i've been your host george steedman jones and this is the coffee with conservationists podcast